But, you know, today is uh, my favorite day of the week. And it's because, man, what a privilege it is to be able to gather together with the saints, to be able to come together and, like, sing songs like what we've just, I mean, just, I love when we just make much of Jesus together. That is my favorite thing. And when Jesus is exalted, when Jesus is lifted up, when Jesus is made much of, man, that is, that just sets everything right, you know? Um, we're not a church that is trying to be cool. We're not a church that has, you know, the, the coolest technology, the, the fog machines, the lasers. We're not a huge production here. We, we're saying, man, we're just we're people or normal people who have normal faults, who are just living in the world just like everybody else. The only thing that makes us different is that Jesus has rescued us, right? Jesus has pulled us out of what the Bible says, miry clay, this like clumpy, slushy clay that you can't get your feet out of. And he, by his power, rescued us when we didn't even think we need rescuing. And he put us on a firm foundation, which is himself. And that's what makes us different. And so every time we gather on a Sunday, um, that's what we're always trying to do is make much of Jesus, the songs that we sing from Scripture, who we are as a people, trying to retell ourselves again when the world tries to lie to us or we start to believe the lies of the world or the enemy that our foundation is in anything but Christ. We remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel that we are his people. And man, what a privilege it is to be with you guys. Just to hear your voices sing this morning. I mean, it's, it's awesome. So my favorite day of the week. Hopefully it's your favorite day of the week. And even with our kids, we want our kids to feel like this is the favorite day of the week. We never want our kids to go, Man, church is boring, and church is like, I remember being a kid having to sit there, dress up super to the nines. Do we still say that? Does anyone even know what that means? I don't even know what that means. I just say it. But you're all dressed up, and you're in this wooden pew, and everything's got to be serious and stern. And, you know, um, man, we're a church that also, we want to have fun. And so while we take Jesus very seriously, like that's the most serious thing, right? We don't take ourselves too seriously. And so, I mean, I'm wearing a t-shirt today, Lord forbid, sacrilege, heresy, you know, I don't know, whatever you feel about that. But I thought, you know what, it's hot, so I'm going to wear a t-shirt. So that's, that's who we are. And so if you're newer to us and you are checking us out, we are so glad you're here. Um, my encouragement is, if you're newer to Southlands, stick around for about six weeks. And, you know, it's hard to, like, figure out, I've never had to church shop, thank God, you know. Um, but I understand, I have friends who are church shopping, I have friends who are moving, and they're like, I'm trying to find a church, and sometimes you come for the first Sunday, and it's hard, because like, first you're feeling awkward, right? Like, what do I do with my hands? I'm not sure, what am I supposed to say? All of those things, and then everyone else is like, sussing you out, and it's like, who's these new people? I would say, just, just uh, like, about, it takes about six weeks to kind of know if this is the family for you. Um, and so if you're newer, we invite you to stick with us for about six weeks. And then by the end of it, if you're saying, yeah, this feels like home, uh, let us know and we'd love to get you more connected. And if not, we're so glad you were here for six weeks, all right? So um, this morning we're continuing a sermon series called Better Together. And uh, the reason why we're doing this is we're taking a little break from what we normally do is go through the book or, or a book systematically, of the Bible, systematically preached verse by verse. And during the summer, we just felt like this is a good time to circle the wagons 
And as we circle the wagons to remind us of the truth of who we are as Jesus people and that we are better together, that we're not just individuals, that we're not just doing our own thing. And a Sunday gathering is supposed to represent this truth that we're better together and then to encourage us that we're better together even beyond these four walls as we go out and we have fun and eat our meals and live our lives and work our jobs and discipline our kids and all of the things that we're still better together And so the first week we said, hey, we're better together because we're connected as the body of Christ. We are connected. As Paul says in in the book of Corinthians, he says, you are the body. And every every part does a different thing and you're all connected and nobody can say they don't need each other. And so we've said, yes, we're connected. But then the reality is sometimes we do have conflict. And that is where it's really hard, right? Where it's like, yes, we believe it. We're better together. Yes, in the name of Jesus, we're better together. And then what do we do, though? when we start to have conflict within the body do we just check out do we just say like josh right now he's running out because i just offended him i'm just kidding um everybody is scared now to get up that's all right when we have conflict do we just go man you hurt my feelings and i hurt your feelings and so then we just pretend like we're not friends anymore but we just kind of keep each other at arm's length no uh, scripture says that we're not allowed to do that. The reality is we can't avoid conflict. We're always going to have conflict. But the blood of Christ runs thicker than water. And so that's because we're all unified, and that's because we have a common bond. And so therefore, we, even in the midst of conflict, we're still better together. And today, I want us to look at this idea of caring for one another. Of caring for one another and you know we could say aka love it's it's how we actually treat one another it's how we love one another and so what I want to do is take a couple scriptures this morning look at those with objective lenses and asking the question okay what does it mean if we're better together what does it mean to care for one another what does it mean what does scripture say uh, it means to care for one another because if I were to poll this room this morning all of us would have different uh, preferences of what it means to care, right? You, so Marianne and I, um, we have different love languages. You ever heard of this? If you've been married for a while, there's this thing called the love languages, and you could do this quiz. Uh, married couples, I, I'd encourage you if you ever, um, like here, here's who this is good for. This is good for the husband who buys his wife a drill for her birthday, Okay. And he's thinking, man, my wife's, or, you know, I got you a a treadmill, love. You know, you're going to really love this treadmill. Just, by the way, never get your wife a treadmill, okay? That's, Marianne wants that? Okay, she would like that. Anyways. But this is for, you know, like you, everyone wants to be loved the way they want to be loved. Everybody, my love language is, uh, well, now I'm scared to say it because this is not to, like, throw in a little hint to anybody here this morning, but it is, is acts of service. And, you know, Marianne will say, babe, what do you want? And, and I go, I don't want a gift. I, I'm, I'm an adult. I could go buy myself something. You know, I don't care. Um, and she's like, but it's a thought that counts. And I go, not really, not for me. You know, uh, I, I like thought, uh, acts of service. So like, I, I would love to, like, there's this project that needs to get done. I just don't want to have to do it. And I would love for someone to just be like, can I take care of that for you? But then I'm so opinionated that no one wants to do anything for me because I'm like, you got to do it like this though, right? Um, but all of us have these things. Marianne loves words of affirmation. If I just tell her she's beautiful and that I love her, it, I'm like, 
That's it. It's so easy. Marianne's so easy. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I'm a blessed man. I don't have to buy her anything. Thank God, right? <laughs> but we all have our preferences. But see, in the body of Christ, if we're saying we're better together, we cannot just say, well, my preference is, this is how we're better together. And this person says, well, this is their preference. And so then we come into the body of Christ, and then we expect somehow to everybody just read our minds and know exactly how we're meant to serve each other. That's not going to work. And so, thankfully, Scripture helps us understand, if we're better together, how we are meant to care, how we are meant to love. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is toward the back of your Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have little Bibles scattered throughout our auditorium on these tables. These are a gift for you. If you need one, please feel free to get up and grab one, and you can keep them if you don't have one. But this is what the Word of the Lord says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 9 through 10. And this is what it says. Now, concerning brotherly love or sisterly love, that has to be added for this day and age, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Isn't that amazing? Paul encourages the Thessalonian church and he says, considering how to care for one another, you have no need for me, anyone to really instruct you. And he says this, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, what does he say? To do this more and more. I love this portion of Scripture. My prayer for us at Southlands Chino is that this would be true about who we are. If somebody was an apostle in this day and age and was going to write a letter to Southlands Chino, I would love as the pastor of this church for them to say, Southlands Chino, you don't need anybody. You don't need anybody to teach you how to love one another because you guys have got it down. And I would have to say, normally when people visit us or when they're coming into our community, one of the things they often say is, man, you guys are so loving, you're so friendly, you're, your community is amazing. But what Paul says is, he goes, don't rest on your laurels here. My encouragement is, Southlands Chino, hey church in Thessalonica, by the way, you're really good at this, but do it more and more. So my encouragement to us is this morning, if we're better together, then we're meant to care for one another. And as we care for one another, let's do it more and more. Amen? All right, so let's continue Continue reading on what does Scripture help us understand what it means to care. If you turn a little bit further down into the New Testament toward the end of the Bible, turn to the book of 1 John. And this is what 1 John... Now, John was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he was known as the disciple of love for some reason. I don't know why that's why he was called that, but I guess it was like a self-given title. Um, if you've been watching The Chosen, you see that... He even says about himself, I'm the most favored disciple out of Jesus. And even in the, the Gospel of John, he says, uh, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Apparently Jesus didn't love any of the other disciples. But this same John writes to the church and says, this is how you love. This is how you care. This is how you treat one another. And he says this, starting in chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. 
13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. So basically, what, what John is saying to this church here, he's saying, you guys, you've been rescued, you've been pulled out of the miry clay, you've been set on a firm foundation. You, have ne- you once were in a kingdom of darkness, and now you're in a kingdom of light. You've become Christians. So we know that we passed out of death into life because, here's the evidence of that, that we love the brothers or the family or the sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. It's a pretty clear litmus for us, isn't it? Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now that's kind of unfair. But Jesus even said when people said, hey, I've never murdered, I've never committed adultery, I haven't done X, Y, and Z. And Jesus tells the Pharisees and, and the disciples who are listening when he would teach, he would often say, hey, if you've had anger in your heart or lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery, then you've committed murder. And so John is therefore listening to these things and he's encouraging the church in the same. Um, and, and so he says, sorry, going back to 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you, do, you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, speaking of Christ. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, he's getting real practical here now, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. All right. So we ask this question, what does it mean to care for one another? If we are the body of Christ, if we're better together, if we're not just connected formally through some function, and we're not just like a group of people who just get together once a week for an hour and a half and then go scatter our own ways. No, we're called to be people who intermingle with each other in our lives, where our, our lives intersect and cross, and there's there's some really good and beautiful times, and then there's some like really hard times, and you know, it gets messy. But if that's true of who we are, because it is true, then how are we meant to care for one another? Well, Scripture helps us see that right here this morning, is it gives us this objective kind of list, kind of understanding basically gospel-centered, Jesus-centered glasses that we are meant to put on as we endeavor to be better together as we endeavor to care for one another. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it real practical for us this morning, and I'm going to give us some points. And what does it mean to care? What does it, and, and particularly maybe even in Southlands Chino, because if you're visiting, you're like, well, what, you, Kelly's talking about caring. What is it going to feel like if I join this church? What is it going to feel like if I say, yeah, I want to be a part of this church? What should caring be? And then my encouragement to those who are saying, no, I'm already rooted in this church. This is my family. This is my home church. And, and for myself, let's, let's remind ourselves if we've slacked off a little bit, right? If we've forgotten, if we've gotten a little selfish, if we've gotten, gotten myopic, if we've kind of like just done our bare minimum, my encouragement to you this morning is, as Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, let's do it more and more, okay? So, Here we go. You guys ready? So what does care look like? Number one is it's not based on our preference or our subjective feelings. And we've kind of already stated that here, but for writing it down's sake, this is a good reminder. It is not based on our preferences or our subjective feelings. Because we know we all 
can be mastered by our emotions. Isn't that true? You ever heard this saying that um, emotions are a great servant, but a horrible master? Isn't that true? It, I, I'm so grateful for my emotions. I am. I'm really grateful that, especially in our faith, that we do not have a faith that just says, thou shalt do this, this, and this, and not even have any feelings about it. I love that Jesus and Scripture encourage us to feel about our faith, too. But we know that we're not meant to be mastered by our feelings. Well, one of the guys I love to listen to, he says, uh, facts don't care about feelings. And that is true. Facts don't care about feelings. But feelings are a good thing. They're good if we allow them to be a servant, not a master. And especially as we're interacting with one another because it's like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are we feeling? How's they feeling? How's everyone feeling? And if we're only approaching each other through a subjective set of standards, then we're going to get this wrong. And what Scripture says is, no, guys, there's an objective foundation of how we care for one another. And it can't be, so-and-so didn't say hi to me in a certain tone this morning. Yeah, thank you. So Kelly said hi, but he wasn't like, hi! You know, and so I don't think he was that enthusiastic about saying hi to me. It was more like, hi. Mm, I give him like a five out of ten. All right. I love how, and, and we, I'm not, I'm going to actually say all these things to prove a point here this morning, but Scripture gives us what are called the one another's. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that there's this thing called the one another's of the Bible. And it's where you see throughout the New Testament, mostly, where an epistle, where somebody writing a letter to a church says, this is how you do this with one another. And then there's all these prerequisites about the one another's. And I'm just going to say them, okay? And we're going to go through them. And you're not going to have time to write these down, if, unless you are, like, awesome. And they're not up on the screen, so you're going to have to listen, okay? And I'll give, I'll give 100, no, I'm not going to say it, Okay. <laughs> Here's one another's of, of, of Scripture. It says, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Oh, by the way, as I'm reading this, allow God to like, speak to your heart and go, ooh, ouch, you know, ooh, I need, to, I need some help there. Don't grumble among one another. Be the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another. Mm. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. I mean, there it is. Cannibalism is wrong, Okay. <laughs> But it's actually talking about like emotionally and friendship-wise and all those kinds of things. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Be gentle and patient with one another. One another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't complain against one another. Confess sin to one another. When's the last time you confessed sin to somebody in this church? Okay. Love one another. That's the obvious one. Serve one another. Tolerate one another. And when in Bible says tolerate, it's not just like, ugh, putting up with one another. Tolerate, that word today means something totally different than what Scripture is talking about. It means like we embrace. When somebody has a different opinion, here, here's how we do, just a little insight. Can a caveat? Is that okay? Marianne's going to like, she's, babe, just stick to the point. All right little caveat. This will be free, okay? 
No extra charge for you this morning. When we, we at Southland's Chino, we have things called blood issues, ink issues, and pencil issues. All right? What does that mean? Blood issues. Jesus is God. Jesus is our only Savior. Jesus is our only hope. We're only saved by grace alone. Jesus was born of a virgin. Fully God, fully man, et cetera, et cetera. Major doctrines, right? Uh, uh, pen issues. You know, we, we're complementarian. <gasps> and if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it, okay? It's just, you're gonna, you know, we can have a conversation later about what that means. We have pastors and elders. Like, this is how the authority of, we, uh, we set up the, the pastor structure in this church, et cetera, et cetera. Those kind. Then we have pencil issues. Like, I wear a t-shirt sometimes when I preach, right? The pen and pencil issues, if we're going to like, about that, I'm not going to that church anymore because he wore Converse. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this may not be the church for you, right? But God forbid you come in here and that, that guy preached heresy, then I would tell you, run for the hills. And those are the things that we're, we need to like have the commonality in. In the pen and pencil, man, those aren't salvation issues. And, and this is where I'm getting to this point. If we can't tolerate one another, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm a Republican. So what? We both love Jesus, and Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only answer. Our hope is not in a politician. Yes, and we can be joined together in Christ. Amen? So that's just one of the things that I'm trying to help us understand. What does it mean to tolerate one another? Don't, if, if you're fighting, okay, I'm getting off the point. <laughs> we greet one another. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Wash the feet of one another. I'll be in the back. So if you want to wash my feet after the service, be subject to one another. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Do not judge one another. Don't physically deprive one another, husbands and wives. Amen. Yes. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth in love to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another. Encourage and build up one another. Spur on one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Why did I read all of those? Why did I say them on purpose? It's because the reality is that we treat one another, we care for one another how we think we should care for one another. And the Bible doesn't give us that freedom. It says this is how you objectively be better together. And friends, the more we do this, the more healthy we're going to be and the more healthy we're going to be as a church. And the more that we're going to reflect the glory of Christ, and the more we're going to be able to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus, why are these things in here? Because we kind of go off the rails. So my encouragement this morning is how do we care? It's not subjective. It is objective truth, truths of the gospel. Number two, yeah, how are you guys doing? Just hanging in there? All right. Number two is we care for each other. It originates, this caring, from being a Christian, not the other way around. Let me explain that to you. What does that mean? Okay, well, every other religion on the planet, every other religion, will tell you you have to do and you have to act a certain way in order 
for whatever deity it is that you're trying to get approval from, you have to act a certain way before you can be a certain way. The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is it's the other way around. Now, it feels wrong because everything in our culture, everything in human-made society tells us, no, you got to do this first and prove your worth so that you can be accepted second, right? Take your job. Anybody ever get a promotion? Anybody ever get a raise? Why did you get that promotion? Why did you get that raise? It's because your boss went, Tom, you've been knocking it out of the park lately, buddy, right? And your review comes along. I remember I worked for a certain insurance company, and you're getting the full raise, two and a half percent, right? And you're like, thank you. And it was based on how well you did. See, the Christian faith is not like that. In spite of how poor, in spite of how sinful, in spite of how lacking, in spite of our incompetence, in spite of our immorality, in spite of all of that, what happens is Christ in His grace and His mercy comes and He picks us to be on His team. Not because we were like at school lined up and everybody's like, I'll take Johnny, I'll take Mike, I'll take so-and-so, and you're the last one. No, the way it works is, in spite of you being the weakly, sickly one on the team who has no athletic ability, Christ in His mercy, for no apparent reason other than to bring Himself glory and to be able to pour out His mercy and love so that He will be glorified, will choose us. And see, if we're trying to care one another and say, I have to go around caring, I have to go around loving, I have to do all this thing, because that's what a Christian does, actually we've got it upside down. See, it's because we've been made a Christian that we go around caring. It's because that we've been changed from the inside out of no power of our own, that there's something alive in us that just can't help but want to love people. That's the way it works. And I'm sorry to tell you this, friends, but somehow this junk of religion, and I say religion in the sense of that teaches us that we have to do in order to be accepted, has crept in even into the Christian church to the point where we go around doing things and then we feel better about ourselves and our standing with God. That's not the way that we are meant to care for one another. You can only care for somebody truly from the power of God, from the Holy Spirit empowering us. Let's take marriage for an example. By the way, this is I'm trying to do this as like a better together for the church slash I have an ulterior motive here too, trying to help us with marriages. See, when Marianne and I are struggling, and when we what I call crunchiness in our marriage, when we have crunchy times where it's like, you know what I'm talking about. If I am trying my best to be a good husband, I can, I can do that sometimes out of my own strength. Sometimes I can because I'm, I'm a human and God has given me human abilities to be able to do certain things. But if I am only ever getting my husband power from my own husband powerness strength, my fleshly Kelly strength, that about maybe 50-50. And Marianne deserves 100%. She does. And I deserve 100%. Yes, I do. All right. 
And the problem is, I'm trying to, out of my own effort, be a good husband, and it only works sometimes and not all the time, and God requires 100% all the time for us to care for one another. And I'm trying to draw from this energy that is myself. And what I'm doing somehow stupidly is I'm forgetting that this power, this encouragement, this empowerment to be able to be a good husband to my wife needs to come from the source, which is Christ. And so therefore, you and I, when we say we love one another not because it's what Christians do, because that makes us a Christian, it's co- it flows from our being that Christ has already put this power within us, and so therefore we're supposed to go to Christ first and say, Lord, I don't want to long suffer with my wife. I don't want to go serve so-and-so today because my flesh is tired, my flesh is selfish. Everything within me says, I don't want to do this. Somebody just came up to me and said, today there was an opportunity. I went and visited somebody who was sick. Everything within me was like, I don't want to do this, but I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do it. And then what happens? A God moment happens, right? And the more that we rely on the power of God to encourage us to encourage one another, the more healthy we will be. And what I'm trying to tell you here is Southlands Chino, it's not from a place of trying to perform. It's a place of a being. It's a place of identity. It's a place of already standing in your position in Christ that will empower you to love one another. So when you have a crunchy moment with your wife, or a friend, or you get in conflict with somebody in this church, or whatever it is, somebody does something you don't like, you don't, in your own strength, try to muster it up and go, I'm going to white-knuckle through this. because No, you give all of that white-knuckleness to Jesus, and then he goes, I'm going to breathe on you grace and mercy more than you need. And it'll be for you and for this situation. And that's how it works. It's got to come from the root. So fruit comes from the root, not the other way around, okay? And I didn't say any of my notes, so. You know how you're not doing this? You ever said, sucks to be you? You ever hear about a story of somebody in the church? Whoa, that's terrible. Anyways, where are you going? In and out? Maybe we need to check our hearts a little bit somebody who's broken and needy and going through a rough time, and maybe that should affect you. Why? Because the love of Christ is in you. Hmm? And not even just in this church. You guys, we're meant to be a light into the world. It's easy to walk by somebody who's begging, and we go, if you would have made better life decisions, you wouldn't have to ask for money. That is so foreign to the gospel. You and me, if we were saved, we couldn't have made any good life decisions in order to save ourselves. And God rescued us when we needed saving. And so therefore, we do the same not just to each other, but to the world who doesn't understand this dynamic of grace and mercy and truth. And then number three, we have to look to Jesus' example of what true care is. It's laying down your life. Just to repeat what we already read, 1 John 3.16 says, this is how, this is how, this is how we know what love is. That he laid down his life for us. This is how we know. So when I start to think, this is how we do it, it, oh man, I almost started singing. My 90s is, Roger Rabbit's about to come out. Okay. 
this is how I should do it. This is the way we've always done it. This is how I understand it. And then Scripture goes, no, 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 no. This is how you know what love is. You look to Jesus. He laid down His life. He laid down His life. He laid down His life. So let me give some practicals under this here this morning. Jesus' example is, and I already got ahead of myself, but it's that we feel hurt and we feel joy when someone else hurts and someone else rejoices. Right? Because we're connected as a body. Another practical thing is we make time for one another. Man, I'm telling you, in this crazy busy world, we should, this church should be the church, like be known for like crazy, crazy amount of just gushing love through spending time with one another. How do you get to know somebody? By spending time with them. We can assume certain things about people's lives just within an hour and a half. Well, that person's really serious. That person's really funny. Or that per- and then you spend like, you know, you go over to somebody's house for dinner and then you realize, oh, this is why this and this. And I never knew that they had an aunt who blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know they were wrestling with the sickness in their body. And I didn't, you, you just, we assume all this stuff and you can't do that. We are meant to spend time with one another and make time. For one another. We sacrifice for others. How can we do that? We'll spend time, enjoy time together, but I would say even a real practical way is that we financially give to one another. That's what he says here. If we go back, what does he say in my notes? He says something really good. He says, um, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? What is, what is he saying there? He's talking about needs. That's, that's physical things. So in this church, if, somebody, if we know like somebody's lost their job and we find out, like, man, this person's going through a rough time and they might not be able to pay their bills, what should we do? How can we help a brother out? How can we help a sister out? Church, let's rally together. I'm not talking about like persons who's like, I don't want to work. We're not talking about that. One another. We should see it. Why? Because the love of Christ is in us. Okay, I'm getting caught off here in my other stuff. So uh, we financially give. We pray for one another. We do more than words. More than words. All you have to do to make it real. I'm showing my age. Okay, let me, let me just drop this out here even if we get nothing in return. Even if you get nothing in return. That's not fair. You're darn right. I, I, I don't think Jesus was like, I'm going to save Jeff because Jeff's going to make it worth it. I'm going to get all this stuff in return. I'm going to save Marianne. I'm going to save Kelly. I'm going to save Robert because... If I do, the return of investment is really going to be good for me. I think actually Christ continues to suffer for us in spite of Him giving us all we need. Right? And so I think it needs to be the same for one another. We give, we give, and give, and give, and give. I'm doing all the giving. Can you imagine Jesus being like, that's it, I'm done. I've done all the giving. I'm always forgiving. We speak truth and love to one another. 
And I would say it's hard work. It's not easy, right? It's hard work. Relationships are not like fine wine. Fine wine is you do the right year, you do the right conditions, you put it in a bottle, you put it in a cellar for however many years, you let the sulfates dissipate so you don't get a headache after at least two years. Is that right, all you wine people? And then it gets better with age. And what, what did you have to do to the wine? Nothing. It's not like that in church. It's not like that in relationships. It's hard work. It's tender care. It's gardening. It's pull, pulling weeds that want to grow with like, where the heck did that weed come from? I'm no, I just pulled weeds yesterday and now it's two feet tall. I don't understand. And that is how relationships work. We're pu- constantly pulling weeds. We're constantly cultivating. We're constantly planting. We're constantly watering. We're constantly caring for the garden of our relationships in this church. It's hard work. It is. That's reality. But there's grace to be had in it. There's love to be afforded. Why? Because we go to the source. All right. Here's how we're going to end. Are we going to end? Yes, we're going to end. Number four, caring for others demonstrates how compelling Jesus is. Caring for others demonstrates how comparing Jesus is. Let me let me just speak. Some of you are not going to like this. I, I don't like it. I think objectively, we have entered the age where the church is no longer looked at as one good in culture. I think we moved past that a while ago. I think, too, we're not even looked at as benign, as kind of irrelevant. I think we have entered an era where the world looks at us as negative, as bitter, as bigotry, bigotry, as a force of actually some would say evil in the world. I think that's where we are. I think that's where we are. And now, with that is going to come some other ramifications, which we don't have time to get into today. But when we talk about caring for one another, what, the, what Scripture says is, let me say this first, Jesus doesn't need us. <laughs> Jesus is beautiful by Himself. Jesus is all, He holds all things together. He is the shining, most beautiful being in all of the universe, right? Jesus doesn't need us to go and be promoting his name. But somehow, in his omnipotence, and in his omniscience, and all of all who he is, in his glory, and the one who holds the universe together, and who continues to intercede for us on behalf of the Father, and constantly showing his scars to God and saying, no, I've died, I've already paid the price, it's done, the wrath of God has been, justif- uh, has been paid full through my sacrifice. Yet somehow in that, he calls us to reveal somehow through our relationships the beauty of who he is. And the Bible says this in John chapter 13, 35. He tells his disciples, by this, by your love for one another, by your caring for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Will Jesus be on the throne? Will Jesus come back victorious and save and separate and it'll be a beautiful and wonderful and a terrifying day? All of those still, whether we do what we're supposed to do or not, yes, he will. 
But where we have to, as an onus in a, in a church, as a local community, in a local city, in a, and somewhere on the face of this earth, is that we say we are called to love one another. And one of those reasons is so that these people over here who live in these condos, apartments, the high school across the street, Coming back in fall, these people over here, the people behind us, the people where you go in your families when you're going to have Thanksgiving and you want to argue about politics, all of those things that happen, it's so that they will see who God is. Because how? Because of our love for one another. Our love for one another is one of the greatest apologetics of the gospel. Why? Is it just because, wow, you guys are really nice? No. It's because in spite of your differences... In spite of you coming from here and you and here and you socioeconomically here and you doing this kind of job which seems different to this job and growing up in this a broken family and a great nuclear family, all of that, in spite of that, you somehow are all about the same thing. And you all do it with such enthusiasm. How is that? The love of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it at every wedding. Verse 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then the preacher goes and he tells you know, the married couple, now put your name in there. Put your name in there. Marianne loves all things, endures all things. And that's good. What's better, what's better is Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy or boast. Jesus isn't arrogant or rude. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus loves all, uh, bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. And Jesus endures all things. And see, friends, if we're saying objectively, how do we care for one another? You could go away here today and say, man, Kelly really encouraged me to love and to care, and i got to do it out of my own strength. No! It's to look to Jesus, who is the perfect example of what it means to care. This is how we know what true love is. That he laid down his life for us. And we receive that power, and all we do is we act like a pipe, and we get this power, and then we shoot it out. It's not coming, originating from us. It's coming from God so that we can love one another. We're better together, friends. Why? Because we're called to love each other like Jesus loves us. Let's stand this morning.